Wait, can I say quickly yeah. that I went out last night? Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Um, I got to 12 o'clock and I was like, <laughs> I want to go home. But the person I was with was like, I can tell you want to go home. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, she's not going to make it. Oh, she's no. not going to make it to one. And I immediately was like, well, then I'm going to make it to one. <laughs> and I kept looking at my phone. I'm like, it's got to be one by now. And like, it would be like two minutes have passed by. Oh, my and God. Like, Where were you? Like, what'd you do? It was like a house party at that point. Um, oh. It was fun. But I was just like, I don't know what anyone's saying. I'm so zoned out. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Um, and I made it to 1232 and by 1236, I was like, I gotta go. Oh my but God. Anyway, that's pretty close to one. That's, yeah. You, but if you include travel time. Yeah. If I include travel time. <laughs> okay. But Robbie, tell us about your big adventure. Well, so my like BFF is a tour manager and, um, there was a huge like EDM festival at this place called the gorge, which is probably the most beautiful venue in the entire country but it's like three hours from seattle so like we get on the van with the dj and everybody and the vj and everyone and we get to the venue at like 10 30 and his set starts at midnight and goes to 1 30 oh. and then we take the van back and we get here at like 4 4 30 <laughs> it was it was fun but um you know uh, I'm tired just hearing that. Yeah, it was also like it's like a twenty thousand, twenty-seven thousand person capacity like event. So uh, I've seen pictures. It looks amazing. It was, you know, it's funny because like it's not. I would never just be like, I'm going to go to this three day festival with EDM and stuff. It's not my thing. But it's so much fun. Like people have so much fun there, and I just I like when people are just like, you know what? I don't care what people think I'm going to wear whatever the hell I want and do whatever the hell mm -hmm. I want and just enjoy myself and just have fun. And that's really good. I like some good, clean fun. Is um, it clean though? I mean, sounds like legitimately would probably be a little I, gnarly. There's a reason that I only go to these things when I'm, as I put it, not in gen pop. <laughs> <laughs> when I have like backstage, like mm -hmm. I could just hang out in the green room. Cause like, I just, I don't know. I can't be in groups of that many people, um, especially with that many flashing lights. <laughs> it's just like, just too much. Uh, but it is cool. It's just so loud and it's just so much like int intensity, uh, which is really cool. Um, I hear you, Grandpa. It's oh, real hard. Oh, God. The two of you. See? <laughs> I mean, I say that coming from a place of part of why I like going to Newport Folk Festival is it's done by like 7.30 and I can go to bed at a reasonable okay. hour. Grandma. That's, I just really feel like we should normalize going to bed at 10 and just like partying up until that point. Why, yes. why do we have to wait till 11 to go out and do something? I don't understand. I don't think it's um, inclusive. <laughs> I don't think at it's all. inclusive to those of us <laughs> who want to go to bed. <laughs> I, this is why I start drinking at like five. Mm -hmm. I stop by eight mm -hmm. I'm in bed by 10. It's great. <laughs> but that's how I legit think that's how it should be. Like, okay, so we go out on a Friday night. I go to work. I have to go home and stay home for like six hours. What am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Why don't I just go straight to the party? And then I go home and then I go to bed and then I wake up and do my morning routine. 
I'm sorry. Can I just step back? We talk about some serious shit on this podcast sometimes, but the fact that you are saying that having to (laughs) start partying later is not inclusive is like one of the most bullshit things you've ever said. Wait, I 100% agree. What do you mean it's not inclusive? You can go drink whenever you want. But everyone else will be drinking later. Yeah. So you can drink whatever you want, but then you're drinking alone. Yeah. The whole point is that you're with friends. Yeah. The, the, I think. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And then people are like, oh, you're leaving early? Why? Like, what, what are you going to... What, what's wrong with the party? And it's like, dude, I'm just tired. Like, like sorry, I have a body that is struggling all the time. I need mm-hmm. more sleep. Ooh. Mm-hmm. See? It's Ooh. not a bunch of baloney. Yeah. It's not. No, you're right. You're right. Okay. We, but actually. We need to normalize partying in the day. A darty? Didn't people call it a that darty, once? yeah. A well, darty? The thing is, people will party in the day like yesterday. Wait, what's a darty? A day, a day party. party. Oh, day party. Okay. Like, so yesterday, I started at 2, Juneteenth. Um, and... Then it was like 12 and people were like, yeah, we're going till 4 a.m. And I'm like, that's 14 hours. <laughs> why, why? Why can't we just cut it off? Like, why? Why do we have to always go to 4 a.m.? You know? Uh, I, I, I don't know. OK. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, Jordan's right. It's not inclusive. OK. To- you said it first. It's really that you're uh, right. I was backing you up. We're both right. It's not inclusive to those of us who um, have some kind of chronic illness, chronic condition. And with that, I'm Raimi. That's Robbie. That's Jordan. And this is I Would Never Know, a podcast. You know, it's funny. It's funny. Not it's not funny. But you're you're both 100% right. And you know who didn't join us for this like all night driving to the middle of nowhere and partying until 2 a.m. and then driving back? My partner. Who because she's like I'm that's too late for me. I'm tired. I have a chronic illness. Mhm. Mhm. Um and so Today, we are talking about chronic illnesses and generally being in tech and working in tech with those chronic illnesses. But I do want to stay on the topic of the partying situation for like one more (laughs) moment because I just think it's so unfair because you can't say in a party setting, sir, I have a chronic illness and... I need to go home and take care of myself. And the, the, the drunk guy is like, what? You know, like <laughs> you're ruining my vibe. <laughs> so you could do it. You just risk the ruin. Well, I mean, I have done it, but it's just not the correct. Risk the ruin. It's the, not the socially correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing because you look at tech and tech world, it's, there's so much drinking. It's true. And when you're it's maybe true. not drinking because of various things, including chronic mm-hmm. illness, it's like, how do you fit in with your colleagues and your tech company? That's so true as well. Oh, but we should introduce. Oh, we should introduce oh, yeah. people. Who is this lovely, yeah. lovely lady talking to us? I'm not sure. <laughs> so this is Jordan, a multi-hyphenate individual. I love that phrase. Uh, it makes you sound important. Um, what does it mean? It means you're not just a UX designer. You're not just a UX researcher. You're not just a PM. You're not mm. just a health technology guru. Uh, you're not just a amazing woman in tech who's a great mentor to people and a great product visionary. Uh, but you're also a really swell person. <laughs> Are you my new hype person? Are you oh going to... Please come with me to all future presentations and Absolutely. any future events. Thank you very much. Yes, I only take 15%. Oh, uh, uh, great. I do things for free, so have some air. Well, that's another episode where we talk about why we don't do that. Um, yeah. Um, I think quickly, so UX and PM, I think we should quickly say what that is. Yes. If that's okay. Yeah. What is actually, yeah, Jordan, what do you do? Good question. What do I do? Uh, I work in the health tech side of things so healthcare and tech intersection predominantly and predominantly that's a hard word uh user experience also known as ux um i like to focus on user research which is thinking about who are the people using your product what are they actually trying to do um and i just like watching them do their jobs that sounds creepy when i say that but there is a lot of uh watch learn and listen um so that's that's the gist of what I do. Important I skills. guess there's also the like overlap of my advocacy as a patient in my job in tech, but we'll probably get to that mm-hmm. at some point. It's a big part of uh, my current job in particular, which is pretty cool. And- well, I think that's interesting because I often will say to you, Jordan, I'm working at this company and you're amazing. Come work with me. And you'll say no. And this is, I, I think, do. very unique because one of the things that like Raymond and I have talked about before that's the beauty of the tech industry is like you're not tied to any individual industry but you made a choice to stick with health and you've had quite a few roles in really major health tech companies so why why health tech yeah you know it's I ask myself this sometimes uh my ex used to ask me you know you think about healthcare all the time. Isn't it too much to work in this and deal with it as a patient? And that's so much more the reason why I do it. You know, I think about it all the time. And healthcare is so ripe for innovation. I hate that expression, but it's true. We're all patients. We all know patients. If we're not now, we'll be someone in the future. And I don't know, it just feels like a, a really easy way to have a positive impact on others, which is why I went into engineering in the first place, which I guess is probably part of my intro. I'm an engineer by training, but uh, I did not stay in that. You switched over? I did. I did. Uh, largely because um, I like the user-centered approach of, of UX and product design and thinking about the human more. So, okay. Quick question. And I think we should yeah. get to like how we're all connected to chronic illness. Um, but... I would think that being like 
I don't know, not an engineer, like, especially if you're in product in some way, is so stressful that it would be bad <laughs> for somebody with a chronic illness. Um. You know, you make a great point. <laughs> uh, I think that is all the more reason why finding supportive companies mm-hmm. is such a core part of making working in tech, like working with a chronic illness period, but particularly working in tech with a chronic illness, because there's generally speaking, like not to generalize, but there is more flexibility when you're working in tech companies. And mm-hmm. for a lot of us, being able to work from home is really important. You know, sometimes I'm like, I got to go shit right now. And uh, this meeting's got to hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, truly fair enough. If I had to go into the office on the days where I was like, I can't really even get out of my bed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just it's sort of an impossibility. It feels like. Yeah. Can I just say I do not have a chronic illness and yet there's nothing more frustrating than like being in a meeting and being like but i have to poop (laughs) but like when do i poop i go to i'm a manager i go from meeting to meeting to meeting pro tip yes set the calendar invites to have that buffer so you get that five minute buffer between meetings when you set up events i don't know if you've done that before on google calendar but you can and then you have built-in five-minute buffers. I don't know if that's enough time for you no, and your God, bowels, no. but it's a start. I have the thing for me, and you'll probably remember this from when we worked together, um, is I'm like very much on a schedule. Like you around are. 11, 11, 20, I need a good like 10 to 15 minutes to just, you know, do and my this thing. This is something you know from working together. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So people realize this about me because because you told them. No, no, it was not that. It was okay. it was out. It was the end. An engineer on my team, our team, told everyone this because they were like, it was in a meeting. They were like, does anybody ever notice that around like ten, ten fifteen is the only time that Robbie like replies to all of our Slack messages? <laughs> yeah, you remember this? Well, that's why I knew because you would message me and be like, hi, I'm te- texting you from, from the toilet, LOL, and you're slacking me this. I'm like, okay, cool, You're nice. the person. Oh, I know. Everybody has a person that they can talk about poop with at Ho- work. Hopefully. Not everyone does, but well, the idea is that should. you do. At work? And you are, yes. <laughs> Jordan okay. and I are, are like, we were, I had this conversation literally yesterday about how like, it's really sus if you can't at least to some like non-descriptive level talk about poop with somebody like if you are like you tacked on at work so i just want to well yeah but like i have that effect on people yeah every no jordan literally taught me this that like if you can't just be like i'm sorry i have to poop like if somebody's like oh my god why would you say that it's like like something sus about that person well there's there's the i think a thing to note normalizing poop is something that i feel strongly about not like we need to talk about it to everyone all the time but there are so many people who are probably not pooping normally and they're not talking about it because they don't know Mm -hmm. that's actually so true 
Okay, I feel like even though we like thrive on making our listeners confused as, sh- as shit. Yeah, we need to go into. Let's talk about why we're talking about mm-hmm. right now. Oh yeah, we didn't do that. We're really organized here. This you is... are. I'm just joining. Yeah, you're just along for the ride. We. we it's should. weird because the podcast has a goal of making things more accessible to people <laughs> who are not in tech, and yet we also want everyone to be as confused as shit. Yeah. Again, I, wait. pun intended. Can I just put in here that if you find this podcast confusing, it's on purpose. It wasn't because we were like, <laughs> it, wasn't our secrets. it wasn't because we just thought that not introducing ourselves and just starting in on whatever was good. It was because that's what we wanted to do. And that, and then we did what we wanted to do. So I just oh want to make that Meta. clear. You should always do what you want in life. Um, but yeah, Jordan, do you want to go into oh yeah your stuff and then we can should we go and do a little sharing circle? I love a sharing Cute. circle. I'm Jordan. No, we don't have to do Hi, it like that. Hi, Jordan. What what do we need to do? What do we do? <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe that wasn't that wasn't the moment. We'll pretend I didn't okay, scratch it out. <laughs> um. Okay. So yeah, I I have a chronic illness. That's part of why I'm here. Also because y'all are great and i'm honored to be here um i have ibd which stands for inflammatory bowel disease not to be confused with ibs which is irritable bowel syndrome they're different in that ibd is an autoimmune disease uh which we maybe or maybe not know are mysterious and still being learned about um i was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis 13 years ago which is a long time now uh we're getting closer to the point where it'll be like half of my life um and what that means is i have ulcers in my colon it's great uh, i have to poop sometimes uh when i'm flaring i have to go a lot um luckily for me right now uh, and i'm sure we'll get into this at some point i am in a period of remission which is really cool i never thought i'd say that um but that means that there's no sign of active disease so something's working and we're nice. not going to change it assuming you know insurance and Healthcare and all that stuff stays stable. So there's no guarantee, basically, is what you're saying. Of course not. <laughs> well, yeah, we want to get into prior authorization oh, and changing God. jobs and. <sighs> ooh. Ooh, changing <laughs> jobs. That's okay. Cool. Robbie, Thank you, you for. Should I should? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my tie to all this, and there's, I mean, you know, I make the joke that like the number of people around me with chronic illnesses is high enough that I'm starting to question whether I'm the problem, uh, whether I'm causing this in my friends and loved ones. No, but, um, when I, um, you know, my partner has a chronic illness and it went undiagnosed for a long time and it was very difficult to figure out the right treatment. And so the symptoms were really bad. And so I, um, you know, I live alone with my partner, not alone, but my partner and I live alone together. Uh, and so, you know, I was her caregiver for lack of a better term. I hate that phrase. I hate that so much, but that's, that's what it is. And so, um, I, you know, had to balance working and taking care of her and being on the phone with insurance companies. And, you know, this all happened like within about a year after we got married. And so while most couples are like, you know, thinking about going on vacation and things like that, we're like, 
how do we deal with this stuff that you're really not supposed to deal with at this age and there's no playbook for this and so that's kind of my um and obviously like the other thing worth mentioning is that during that period of time my partner wasn't working so my income and health insurance were very like you know i had to really protect that um for her and that a lot of my decisions that i made regarding my career were based on that um and i also just want to say like you know, that's one perspective that I'm, I'm here to bring, but also like as a manager, you know, having that experience when I was an individual contributor, when I was just an engineer, like has really shaped who I am as a manager. And like, you know, I think, um, we'll talk about like disclosing because like, obviously it's, it's a big decision whether or not you disclose your illness to your manager. And for me, you know, if you're as a manager, if I know about it, there's certain things that I can do and have to do. And it's, it's not easy. It's never easy. Um, cause there's no, again, there's no playbook, um, or usually isn't, but also like having people who work for you that are constantly out or constantly going to doctor's appointments, but you can't force them to tell you why, but still being able to like, I don't know. I think for me, having that sensitivity to that is something that's really important and that a lot of managers don't know how to handle. And rightfully so. I mean, it's not, I, <laughs> I hate that I know how to do it. You know what I mean? I hate that I have that experience, but anyway, um, yeah, that's my my experience with chronic illnesses. Uh, and Rami, why don't you yeah. tell us yours? I wanted to go last because mine is newer than both of yours. And it's also connected to both of yours. And I, so I'm still in the process of figuring out quite like what is wrong with me. Um and I think both like Robbie and Jordan have seen me go on this journey. Um, I don't know. I disclosed to Robbie that I was dealing with some health stuff. And uh, Robbie put me in this group with his partner in Jordan. And I was going to all of these doctors and I was like, I feel sick. I feel bad. Something is wrong with me. Please help me. Um... And all these doctors were like, I think you're fine. You're totally good. And um, one doctor w- said, well, you could have a motility issue. So I was getting like endoscopy, colonoscopy, like the there's something wrong. It seemed like there was something wrong with my GI system. And he said, you know, you might have a gastric motility issue, which means that things aren't, you know, being digested or moving at the right pace um in your gi track and but he was like that's not really a big deal so i wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't look into it (laughs) and i told that to um jordan and robbie and robbie's partner and they're like no you should look into that that is a big deal and i got diagnosed with um like very very low gastric motility all the way through my gi tract um and then Now that I have that diagnosis and doctors believe me, I got tested for ANA like two to three weeks ago and it came back positive. So now I'm finally getting closer and closer to some kind of bigger diagnosis. But for right now, my diagnosis is um, low gastric motility. So I'm not digesting my food properly, which leads to a bunch of issues. Can you clarify what ANA is? 
absolutely not i learned what it was three weeks ago <laughs> what is the act do you know what the acronym is i'm just like i wonder what that means i actually don't know oh you don't know okay hold on let's pause and look it up sorry it's not, i is should it some know type of um is a and a a type of um acid that you get to do face peels oh no that's a i feel like the n stands for <laughs> neuro something okay unpause um a and a anti-nuclear antibody test an ana oh. test looks for these antibodies in your blood if the test finds them um it may mean you have an autoimmune disorder yeah but what is oh. it but that see that's <laughs> earlier it? when we did our intro about autoimmune diseases and i mentioned how they're so connected and mysterious i don't think i don't remember hearing about that test back in the heyday you know and that to me says we're finally starting to have tests that maybe are more holistic yeah. mm-hmm. and at least say, hey, there is something here. It's not just a random guess and check, go to the specialist, go to the specialist, although that's probably still going to happen. But at least you have the data. I mean, yeah, it's truly something. Um, wait, I'm going to try and read this again. Give me okay. one minute. Okay. So these anti-nuclear antibodies in your blood, your immune system normally makes them, makes antibodies to help you fight infections. In contrast, these antibodies often attack your body's own tissues, specifically targeting each cell's nucleus. So they're, they're testing for these anti-nuclear antibodies that attack your own body's tissues. That's what it's testing for. Anti-antibody is what i heard and i'm just like this is the inception of the immune system it's this is so like this is just the typical shit like i think a lot of these issues affect like an inordinate amount of these issues affect women mm-hmm. and we know that women's health problems a are largely ignored because it's all in your head yeah it's anxiety bullshit um and also because a lot of the science that we operate on comes from trials in the 50s that were all run on white men yeah and so mm-hmm. we don't know like a lot of a lot of these now all like was it like something like 80 percent of people with autoimmune issues are women yep that's mm-hmm. the statistic i was about to bring up well, I have a follow-up because you, before I forget, you said you're surrounded by people who have chronic illness. They're estimating, again, this all depends on the future of long COVID, but 24 million to 50 million people in the U.S. is the current estimation living with chronic illness. And by the way, I should clarify, I am surrounded by female identifying people, mm-hmm. people who are genetically female who have these chronic illnesses. Um. It's not... I'm not saying that there aren't men with chronic illnesses, but one of the things that, you know, as we're talking about tech and we think about the things that like the barriers in tech for women, obviously motherhood is a big one. Obviously having a menstrual cycle is a big one because it's something that means there's, you know, a period of time where coming into work is difficult. <laughs> yes, <Jordan>. nice. <laughs> that pun was not intended, but hey, but now we also you, there's this other issue that we're seeing, which is where women don't feel good a lot because of these chronic illnesses and autoimmune issues that, you know, inordinately like affect them more than men. Um, 
I also just want to like point out um so I just want to backtrack for for a moment and say you know we're talking about like women usually aren't believed like when I was going around to doctors and saying I'm sick I don't feel well I got you have a you just have a sensitive stomach have you tried eating more oatmeal um or like i think you just have anxiety or you have depression it's always like mental with women but i will say also being black um there's this thing with you're over exaggerating you know with women we're too emotional um we are just mentally weak and then with black people it's like you're exaggerating you're out here trying to like get something out of us doctors this that the other so i did want to put in that perspective quickly um yeah, there's actual research actual research where um and this is like i'm talking about within the last like 10 to 20 years that shows that um people actually like white people white profession like medical professionals believe that black people don't feel yeah the same level of pain as white people they downgrade and this it. goes and this goes back to like what 150 years ago mm-hmm. when the u.s considered black people to be i'm not even kidding animals because they can they said well black people don't feel pain mm-hmm. and it's disgusting and yes we know that that history is terrible but like if everybody who keeps saying like, oh, but look how, you know, we're not, you know, that's not how things are anymore. It's complete fucking bullshit. That still is how things are. Yeah. I'm sorry. This this topic gets me. I mean, I think so it's getting much. all of us, but we yeah. should Ugh. talk specifically about tech. But um, I mean, just navigating this in general. So if we're talking about being sick is one thing. Mm-hmm. Navigating people like doctors these people who are supposed to be so smart and deal like they're literally in charge of our like well-being you know Mm -hmm. they're basically saying your well-being you living in this body is not is unimportant to us i'm like this is your job but basically what i'm just trying to get at before i go on a long rampage is that we're dealing with all of this outside of work you know, so it's not just being sick. It's also being sick, trying to manage doctors, trying to figure out health insurance, which health insurance in the United States is a clusterfuck, I would like to say. <laughs> That's putting it lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going into work and, I don't know, potentially having to put on a happy face and do all your work. So why don't we take it back to the start? Um. And I know that this is going to be a different story for both of you as well. It's a different story for my partner, who is also, again, a woman of color who dealt with, oh, it's all in your head. Um, You know, I mean, again, this was a motility issue, so she couldn't eat. I'm like, oh, well, is she unable to eat or choosing not to? It's like, shut shut up. Shut the fuck (gasps) up. That's a favorite one. Can I say something? Yeah. Yeah. I read through my medical records like oh no like um a while ago well okay what actually happened a a different doctor read through my medical records and they were like you didn't disclose that you had anorexia i was like i've never had anorexia oh this is a thing yeah 
this is a thing. Yep. I, I was like, never, never in my life. Never in my, you mean because eating is painful and I'm sick, but never, but like, that's different. That's not the same thing. And they put it in their notes, in my medical records without telling me or saying anything to me. And then a doctor, like a different, and then different doctors are just like, well, like seeing that later. Sorry. I I'm totally derailing this. Don't apologize. No, this is, this is the thing is that like, they will, doctors will claim that if you are unable to eat, if you are losing weight, that you are have anorexia, but anorexia nervosa is characterized as including an intense fear of gaining weight. And so if that fear is not present, then the doctors are hurting you so much by giving you that characterization. And I think the reason that people need to hear this is because if you're sick, and you can barely take care of yourself and you can you can't work and whatever you're also going up against this incredibly convoluted difficult to understand medical system and if you don't have somebody to advocate for you the odds are so stacked against you and so like it's hard to ask for help but you have to you're hitting on something i think there's another layer to it right health literacy is such a huge part here like the three of us are lucky in that, well, A, we're in tech. That means we're already in a different place in terms of society and the various things we've done in our lives. But health literacy, I believe, I had the numbers up earlier, but America's health literacy is very, very low. And when we say health literacy, we're defining it at the eighth grade level. You move into the world of chronic illness or anything more serious than a cold and Folks don't know half of what these things mean because we aren't educated to know what they mean. Um, so when you add the layers that you all were getting at earlier, you know, navigating insurance, talking to different doctors, if we can't even, we being an average person, can't even read the doctor's note or understand what's written there, how are we supposed to advocate at all? I don't have an answer there. Oh, I don't think any of us do. Why do I have to ask a question? Like, Wait, do you have the answer? Uh, Can if we just I did, end this podcast right now? Yeah, done. Uh, close like, up shop. It's just basically all like all to say, you know, this is really complex. It's really frustrating. It's very difficult to deal with. And then it's like, and then also we have to work because we get our health insurance from work also. Capitalism. Also that. We are only valuable as people and our health is only valuable so that we can continue to work. But anyway, um. I mean, I know Robbie mentioned earlier, you know, being a manager and understanding the challenges for reports dealing with health and how to work with that. But I think, oh, no, I lost my thought. Brain fog is another challenge we chronically oh, yeah. deal, folks Dang. deal with. So uh, I it's really Goodness. true oh no just totally it was a really something. good thought all right oh, that no. doesn't go anywhere um okay let's well, actually mm-hmm. hold on i want to uh, so let's 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 use that capitalize on that moment brain fog yeah let's talk about let's go back to the start how did you go from one day being a average young person going to work or school to, you know, I'm not feeling so great. Like, how did this like, because I think I think when people think about people with chronic illnesses, they think of, oh, this person's been sick forever. And it's such a 
it's a visible thing but how how did this all start for you who me jordan i can go first mine is shorter probably because it's closer to now i don't know um i mean basically around i don't know the age of 12 i started getting extremely extremely tired all the time and mom took me to all these doctors and they were all like she's fine so flash forward to 2020 um i moved back in with my mother and she was like you look really sick i was like i'm fine everything's fine we're all fine um and i started going to the doctors learned i had like bacterial infections in my gut um and like all that and they just kept coming back and back and back and it was like why do they keep coming back so i don't i don't know i don't know if that really answers your question i think i was sick for a lot longer than i realized Mm, interesting Um, yeah i don't know what about you jordan i mean you're you're hitting on the challenge of invisible illness right you mm-hmm. you may be sick and not realizing it because you can't even see what's happening. And so I'm I'm reading a book right now. Uh, I do that a lot. Um, and it's called <laughs> The Invisible Kingdom. It's by Megan O'Rourke. It just came out this year. Um, but literally the first chapter is a quote from a person. I wish I could tell you which, but I can't get there that fast. Gradually and then suddenly is mm. is a term often used to talk about like, well, how did you know you weren't doing well? And then all of a sudden there's some sort of event. Um, And for me, it was kind of like that. You know, I think I was sick a lot as a kid. Uh, I faked sick a lot as a kid too, which means I was on antibiotics a lot. And so I built up antibiotic resistance probably at some point to things. Um, But I had a stressful year. I was a passenger in a car accident. My parents got divorced. It was right before senior year, everything was happening. And all of a sudden, I started having to go to the bathroom all the time. And it was an urgency and it wasn't, you know, like, a normal formed poop suddenly like i was running because i was you know i had diarrhea i was seeing blood in my stool and uh i'm lucky that i have a relationship with my family where i can talk about that and so i told my mom um and at this time i'm 17 i live in south florida uh there were no like pediatric gis there weren't a lot of gis to begin with i think relatively in my area and so I had a woman pediatrician who took my my complaint seriously, ran the right test, said I needed to see a GI. And lucky for me, because my mom's in healthcare, because my grandfather's a doctor, managed to get me into that GI. And I received my diagnosis within a month and a half, which is so fast for the world of chronic illness, like so, so fast. Um, and note that I went to the ER and they're, you know, and they were like, oh, you probably have ovarian cysts. I'm like, what? Sorry, you're just going to assume it's some sort of OB-GYN problem. Cool, bye. Um, Which, by the way, it was not. This is on my ovaries, uh, I think. We never really checked. Um, Actually, no. You know what? I'm literally shitting blood. My ovaries (laughs) are not connected to the GI system. How would that work? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was it for me, at least. It was a week before the start of senior year of high school. and I know this is a big part of the process is like accepting that it's like your normal is different. And like, I just didn't, ex- I was like, cool. Okay. Taking some meds, 
Bye. You know, I didn't really accept that it was a part of my life until I graduated college and needed to work. It's funny. Work's going to be a theme, you know, because suddenly I needed I realized, like, I'm not feeling well. And like these meds aren't working. And now I need to go to this job so that I can have health insurance to get the medicine that hopefully will work because cycle. The end of that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, Robbie, I want to hear about your experience with this. And then, sorry, I keep like, get, I'm the one that keeps getting us off track, but I do think we should talk about our, our experience navigating work while sick, like specifically like our tech jobs. But I do want to hear about. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll talk about mine. But yeah, that's where I want to, I want to yeah. get into like with you, Rami, especially how like you suddenly were like, wait. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like at work with me, we're having this. Anyway, you know, so it's, uh, it's a tough story to tell for two reasons for me. Um, the first is like honestly, it's just a very chaotic emotional time in my life that I honestly hate talking about, but I know it's very important. But also, like, I think the hardest part about not being the sick person in the story is that a, it's not your story to tell, but it also is your story. And you're not the one that's going through it, but you're also going through it. And so, um, I think, um, you know, for me, there's definitely, to be frank, there's a lot of trauma that I have and that care caregivers have. Right. Um, but you know, the timing was really interesting. You know, my partner decided to leave her job, um, to change industries actually. Um, and shortly after, like very shortly after she had quit that job, she became sick and we thought it was just like a stomach virus or something. Um, but it just kind of, uh, I think Jordan to what you said, you know, gradually and then suddenly like, yeah, it was gradually and then very suddenly. Um, and everything just got turned upside down, like pretty much overnight. Um, and there was a lot of going to the hospital, going, you know, going to doctor's appointments, tests and tests and tests and tests, because we didn't have any friends that had this, you know, we had nobody that we could ask about it. We, we leaned on, um, a couple things. We leaned on, um, a forum online called inspire. I think it was, or inspired, um, there was uh, a podcast episode that I'd heard about somebody who had turned to some sort, I think it's called CrowdMed, like a crowdsource, like, um, please help me figure out what's wrong with me type of website for people who are zebras. And so a zebra is um, a term that basically means like you have this unique set of symptoms and, and you know, and there's an illness, but like there's no diagnosis quite that you can get. And so they call you a zebra. Um, and, uh, I probably butchered that, but it's more or less the case. Um, and yeah, so for me, it was trying to balance work. I tried to be very visible at work with what was going on. Um, mainly because I just didn't have the bandwidth to hold it in. Um, and I got a lot of, Oh no, I'm so sorry. I have I don't understand what's going on. I'm, that must be really tough do whatever you need to do, but you also really do need to get your work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And so 
it was a very stressful period of time uh and it sucked and luckily i'm I'm happy to say that my partner is doing much 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 better now that's years in the past and i have a lot of learnings that i think one of the reasons that we're talking about this and is because like it's one of those things that you never want to learn these things but then you have all this knowledge and you're like how can i put that to good use mm-hmm. which i guess you know jordan you're doing in your work every day i try and i'm fortunate that i've been given other avenues to do it too but you just said something that i think is is so worth digging into this um you're still expected to do your work while you're juggling whether it's caretaking or being the patient i um a job i was at for nine months uh which i wanted to leave sooner but i couldn't for a variety of reasons uh there was this horrible, horrible director. And I was very sick. I was flaring really bad. And she's like, are you better yet? And I was oh, like, God, I have I a chronic that. illness. Oh, Anytime. That's what gets I hate me. That. I hate that. Never say that. So right? Continue. Continue. No, it's, no it's, that's really it. It's literally, yeah. Like, so are you feeling better? I'm like, it's chronic. Do you not, you, you know what that word means. Don't, don't come think, at me with that. I don't think they do. That's the thing. I'm like, how do we get people to understand? I don't think we do, by the way, unless they go through it. But there's this level of it's not going away. And like, Robbie, you being supportive is not going to go away and needing to do all of these things that patients can't do themselves. That's not going to go away. Um, yeah. Not for a want of not for a lack of wanting it to. Um, so all of that being said, how do we and does someone with a chronic illness and like a caregiver and whatnot like navigate all of this stuff? And I know, <laughs> Robbie, you pointed at me. I don't know how. What you? What did you want me to talk about? <laughs> well, so when mm-hmm. why don't we talk about, I, I think, disclosing. Okay. And it's like, when, when do you, when did you, Raimi, yeah. s- tell somebody that you worked with? When did you first tell I mean, someone I that you, you worked with? Didn't I tell you first? Um, because I think I was just freaking out because, um, as an engineer, you know, I, you have to think a lot, which like we all have to think a lot, right? <laughs> but we're like, you know, solving problems, this, that, the other, like we're coding. And I got to the point where my like brain fog and confusion, like my body just really wasn't working. And take this back to like, I don't, pro- if you don't process food, like that's where you get your energy. And, you know, then you're also potentially fighting off viruses and your body is like fighting itself, yada, yada, yada. But, um, and so I just was having a really hard time coding, attending meetings, forming coherent sentences. Um, and I was like, I don't really know what to do. And I'm stressed out. And I feel like my work is failing because of all of this. And it's making me even more stressed out. Um, and I told you because I don't know. I liked you. You were my friend. <laughs> it makes such a difference. Um, cause I don't think even at that point, I didn't know that you had a partner who had a chronic illness. I was just like, mm. I don't really know what to do. You know what I mean? That's, that's where I was at. Um, I think 
not to put you on the spot, which is literally what we're doing. So I probably shouldn't even bother saying that. (laughs) It's like, but like something that is interesting to me that I think we should talk about here is you came to me about this. We had one-on-ones. We talked. Yeah. Um, I was a manager at the place that you worked. I was not your manager. No. And you had a fear of talking to your manager, not because of who that person was as an individual, but because of the fact that they were your manager and the implications of what happens if you tell your manager, I'm struggling with doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's like interesting now because now that I like regularly disclose that I have a chronic illness to like people I work with, I'm like, if you have a problem with this, you're an asshole and I don't have time for this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Before that, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I really just didn't know how to disclose. Yeah. And what that meant to be like, I just am not feeling well enough to do work and I don't and I don't know and it's not like oh I'm gonna take some PTO it's like I don't know when I'm going to feel better and I don't know what to do and I also can't lose this job because then I will never figure out what to do because I need health insurance um yeah I mean so eventually I did disclose um it was fine I think and we can all talk about like sort of how that meeting should go um i think like my manager was basically like you take the time you need um and you know we'll figure it out like and he was actually like your work is sort of fine right now like it's you're doing well still so like i'll let you know right away if something like like if you what's the term slip the ball that's not it at drop all. the ball or <laughs> drop the ball what is the slip there's a slip one probably too i don't know what it is <laughs> um i'll let you know if like yeah you begin to drop the ball but for right now you take care of yourself you figure it out and like that is a testament to also a being in tech and being able to be like get your work done and then move on you know it's not like this like it's technically nine to five but not like that you know what i mean it's you got it you just get your work done basically um i i do think there is Mm-hmm. There's some level of empathy needed for someone to have that reaction, though. Yeah. I don't yeah, think uh, every manager will have. Yeah. I this... would. Was that like maybe not the most positive, but like not negative, right? Like it that was... sounded like it was. Um, I, yes. How did it fit to what you expected? It, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. And he actually disclosed that like he knew he knew somebody who had not a chronic illness per se, but had dealt with the healthcare system and knew the mess yeah that it was basically um and so there was already like that level of understanding i've disclosed a few more times and had just bearing reactions of like okay like truly no no idea like no idea as to what i'm saying whatsoever you know like just no knowledge of it um but yeah so that's how the disclosure went do y'all want to give your two cents i mean jordan if you've and then robbie yeah how do you deal with it as a manager but yeah yeah it's funny because i'm dealing with it as a manager now uh which i feel like you know going back to what robbie was saying earlier having that unique experience makes you i think a more empathetic 
better manager. But uh, I could not help but think of an iconic song to reference the way that I think about disclosing. And it would be Sheryl Crow's First Cut is the Deepest because the first disclosure, I think, is the one that's the hardest. You know, you, you haven't done it before. It's maybe it's your first manager and your first job. If you're lucky, it's later in life because you aren't dealing with health stuff. Um, but I know for me, I was terrified. I was in my second month on the job and I knew I needed, I was switching to a biologic, which is an infusion-based drug. Um, and it's immunosuppressant drug. And I was like, this is going to infect affect my job because I'm going to need to get all of these infusions up front. And my manager handled it so well. I later found out that she went to like the HR business partner and was just like, what do I need to do to support her? I want her to know that I'm here. And that, you know, speaks volumes to who she is as a person. Um, but also I think, especially cause she was a new manager was good to see that that's how she reacted to, um, over did, time. It hasn't been that easy, but yeah. Did she have like, where was that reaction like coming from? Did she have, like an experience good question i don't believe she did mm. i think that's part of why she was stressed about it and like mm. wanted to make sure she did well um and by did well i mean supported me um it's interesting because one of her good friends at work was also first time managing and that person accelerate forward six years later reached out to me as they were going through their ibd diagnosis so you know Going wow. back to the first cut is the deepest and progressive, you know, gradually then all at once starting to tell people it's, it's so interesting how, when you start opening up more about it, the ways that then it comes back to you, um, in the ways that you then start to kind of support others in that journey. But that's kind of a, a tangent. Um, um, you asked about when to disclose, right? <laughs> Yes. Or we're not there yet maybe i don't think i mean it's fine i was i was going to say that you should disclose also. yes yes <laughs> like we're we're, we skipped ahead to just like how it went but like you should. <laughs> it <was>. <laughs> <laughs> well it's you know when you when you're filling out job applications and they're like because they you know the u.s government's collecting statistics they ask are you do you have a disability i struggle so hard with That's that so, yeah yeah because the answer is and it's taken a while to get here. The answer is yes. Based on the ADA, Americans, Disability, Americans with Disabilities Act, I believe, um, is, you know, ulcerative colitis is in there. I'm covered. It will protect me. But at the same time, I don't know what that will do to my application because then it changes yeah. in my head. Like, does that change how they see me as an applicant? Yeah. Um, at some point, I just say, screw it. Like, this is who I am. I'm going to check that checkbox. And you don't want to necessarily be... Ex like accepted by a place that wouldn't accept you if you had checked it. Totally, although it's I, a hard issue. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay, controversial opinion. Because mm -hmm. I talked to somebody who worked at a company that where they have that because of that they have a lot of experience with ATS applicant tracking software. So these are like you know the the third party websites where you like that host job applications. They told me, regardless of how liberal the company is, you should like, and again, this is not, this is just hearsay, but their, you know, input was you don't market because these third party, and I'm not talking about just disabilities. I'm talking about 
any of the voluntary are you a minority oh, are you this, this that the other thing because and i think it makes sense because like you, we know that algorithms are inherently biased and racist mm -hmm. and so the company that is licensing that software might not have a bias in their practices but if the algorithms themselves have a bias i don't i don't and you know what somebody who's at like LinkedIn or uh, Greenhouse, or whatever, could be listening to this and be like, okay, that's complete nonsense. And if so, great, write in. Come on. I would love to have an entire episode about these softwares. Um, but uh, my thoughts, I personally never mark any of those things because you never know what that information is used for, how it's used, why it's used. And if my goal is just to get an, an application in front of a hiring manager, I don't see how marking that would help or, you know, it shouldn't hurt. I think this goes back to disclosing, interestingly. And this, and I don't know, you know, based on your experience with the software, I might be missing something. But within some of my chronic illness community, they've said to me specifically, disclosing ensures that you get the support you need, that you get the resources that are there and available and provided to you. Now, it's unclear to me whether checking that checkbox is, is a key part of that. Um, or if you physically, you know, yeah. physically verbally disclosing is, is the kind of switch. Yeah. Do you I disclose verbally disclosing. after? Well, if you're me, uh, <laughs> you, you disclose during your interviews. Uh, oops. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's I, I, sometimes it's, you can't help it. I don't yeah. know. Particularly when you work in health tech, right? So oh, of much course. of my bias as a user researcher and a user experience designer is because I have gone through some of these experiences you know i worked on an ehr um in electronic health record for a while and i my team did the chart and we were like how do we show medications tapering and i literally opened up my notebook to a post-it note that had my tapering schedule and i was like this is what it looks like for a patient it's on a piece of paper and they write it out and they're like what they don't know <laughs> those are the things where mm -hmm. suddenly how did i get here oh because disclosing is a part of that Right. Because yeah. to me, it's part of me saying, here are the biases I bring to the table in this tech job. Now, I don't think everyone has to do that. I think disclosing can be extremely personal. And it is. Not to say mine isn't. But to me, it's more beneficial to say something than to not. Because I want people to put health first at work. And I yeah. think that's one of the hardest things in tech is the health matters more than work. And if you're not feeling well, take care of yourself. Yeah. And I think also, um, if your work is flagging, then they know why at least, and they're not going to put you on a performance improvement plan <laughs> or something like that. But also along with that, I mean, this is just, I think a clear example that health tech companies should be hiring more chronically ill people. There you go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Take us. We're great. <laughs> We have um, a lot of empathy for others generally. Maybe not all of us. I shouldn't generalize, but. And we're the user. You want people who are going to be the user, right? Or at least bring a perspective. Mm hmm. Um, but I guess, Robbie, as a manager, what's your perspective on disclosing and how yeah. a manager should react? Um, I think. That's a great question. So first of all, as far as disclosing, there's something that I 
say often, and it's not just about this, it's about pretty much everything. Um, and it's, if you have a problem and you tell me it's my problem as a manager, if you have a problem and you don't tell me it's your problem. And that's not, it sounds mean, but it's like, literally, I can't help you. And I see, and I think there's a reason that people don't talk to their managers, whether it's because of baggage from prior jobs or because that manager has not done the due diligence to build trust with that employee. Um, the reason that I went into management was that I spent a lot of time speaking, you know, as a, as a tech lead, but not somebody who managed directly. I'd have a lot of experience where I would experiences where I would have one-on-ones and I would talk with engineers and they would bring all these issues to me. And the only thing that I could do most of the time was say, have you spoken to your manager? Because I can't solve this problem for you. And they would say no, because the manager won't listen. I don't trust the manager, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm in this awkward situation where I can bring that feedback to the manager, but they'll say, I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from the individuals. And it just becomes this whole big mess. And I was like, you know what? cut out the middleman. I'll just go become a manager. And because I wanted to solve those problems a lot more than I wanted to solve the problems of like, you know, scaling an API. I wanted to solve the problems of scaling a team. Um, And I wanted people to be open and discuss these things again, because going back to the question you asked about like my experience, I'm glad that you both had such great experiences disclosing. I did not. And I won't go into the details because honestly, it's just going to end with me like screaming (laughs) and cursing. But I will say this, the person who I, who was my manager when this all happened, who I had to disclose all this to, who handled it very, very poorly and basically weaponized it against me, my situation, Um, that person, every time I hear his name or see him on LinkedIn, the, I have to fight down the vitriol. And, um, the reason that I bring this up is because if you find yourself in a management position, you need to figure this out before it happens. Because if you handle this poorly, like, honestly, that person can go and like cure cancer right now. And I still would have nothing but disdain for them. And that's just because of what they put me through and that that is it's baggage that I've had to deal with and I've worked through it. So like, you know, I'm a lot more, you know, that eroded my trust in management um, in general. And I, I was able to get back to a place where I, that's not the case anymore, but that took work. And so um, as a manager, I think, you know, I had a situation once where I had an entire team of people reporting to me, a decent sized team, two pizza team as they call it, you know, so like mm-hmm. about six to eight people, I think. That's so like how, how much pizza can feed you? <laughs> oh yeah. It's a, sorry. That's like a two pizza team. It's, a, it's an Amazon thing where they say like, if you're yeah. your team, you should never need more than two pizzas to feed your team. And that's also, I think Amazon's way of handling, you know, Which anything is, like, is just give them pizza. Also, <laughs> why just not say six to eight? Because like, wait, hold on. Because everybody loves Why? pizza, obviously. Well, because the meme is is oh, you did really great this year and made us millions of dollars here. Have, have a pizza. pizza, but we can only oh afford two. We can only afford two for you. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Bezos. Anyway, um, 
so I had this team of like six, eight people. I can't remember exactly. And every single person on my team either had a loved one going through like a, like a, a, a partner going through an illness. They themselves were dealing with an illness or something else that made it difficult for them to show up to work. And all but one of them had directly came to me and told me about the situation with varying degrees of transparency, with varying degrees of trust. Um, and one of them did not feel comfortable bringing it to me, but I, I can't control the fact that it just came to me through the grapevine. Um, and I never broached the subject directly with them, but it, it, it did color, like, you know, it did help me understand why they weren't showing up in the way that, you know, they normally would have to work. Um, as a manager, look, like my job is to protect and amplify your, uh, protect you and amplify your voice. If you tell me something's going on, I can do that. And I know that, you know, I think the most important thing for a manager is to leave space. So if somebody, I mean, I'm just going to use like an example. If somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I have a doctor's appointment. Okay, cool. Go take your doctor's appointment. First off. There's a reason that I have a, a policy. I call it my you come first policy. You need a doctor's appointment? Go ahead. Your kid needs, you, you know, you got to have a PTA appointment or whatever. You got to go talk to your kid's teacher or whatever. Go ahead. Like, I don't ask questions. I just, just, just do it. I trust you. You and your life comes first because if your kid's having trouble, if you're having medical issues, if someone else, the last thing that you should need to worry about is what does my manager think? And so I'm very noisy. I'm almost obnoxious about it, about how much I push people to take care of themselves and not worry about work. Uh, if you are the, the impact of your employees is not should never be measured on a day to day basis. If it is, you, you suck as a manager <laughs> to be to be totally frank. I love that. And I think there's so much that we can do as colleagues in that vein, too, um, because, yes, Ooh, a manager should yeah. be supportive in that way. But I think in particular, when you're working on a team in tech that has, you know, fresh grad engineers who don't know any better, and when I say know any better, don't take their health as seriously because they're young. Mm -hmm. um, young. When you see them post in Slack and say, hey, uh, here are all the ways that I'm sick and I'm still working. I've used it as an opportunity mm -hmm. to message and say, hey, I really hope you're feeling okay. Just so you know, like you have, your health comes first. We have these policies so that you can take health time. And like, mm -hmm making it feel safe yes it's awesome we want managers like that and we can also be peers that help create that culture hopefully hopefully um i guess i'm wondering what did you do so it was a bad situation right like if i'm backtracking but you know you disclosed it was bad what do you do? You know, I guess, do you just look for another job? Like, how do you navigate that? That's actually, let's talk about that. Cause I went through this. Um, I elevated it. I went over my manager's head. I spoke with a higher up in the business and that kept everything floating along. Um, eventually, you know, I really got, I had been at that company for, I plan on leaving that company at some point, but I ended up staying on for like an extra two years because of this situation. I got an offer from another company um, that was a really great offer. It was a stable company. They had great health insurance. Uh, 
Um, and so I made the calculated decision to, you know, change jobs and go to that other company. One year in, the large mega corporation who this like I was in an, in a, a, a startup within a large company um, decided that they wanted to really, you know, uh, show the company how much they appreciated every single person in that company. So the CEO got a five million dollar raise and we got our health care slashed. <gasps> What? Uh, Wait, I'm not what? even kidding. The dramatic gasp was everything. Oh. I, it, it really I can't believe everything. that. No, I I'm absolutely so can. Disgusted. The funny part <laughs> is that flashback to when I started working there, and I was at so again, this is like a startup within a large company, and so I was at like the I was the first employee, so it was like the quote unquote launch party um, for the uh, for this startup thing, and um, the CEO was there. And this is a guy who has like a $25 million uh, office, by the way. Wait. Like his office. How, is it a, is it a yacht? I don't understand. No, it's like it's like a acoustic treatment that costs like $7 million or whatever. I don't know. Same. Gold toilet. Who knows? Whatever. It's crazy. So, um, uh, so he and I got into a brief conversation and he said to me, you know, I love coming to these events because you know whenever i get into an elevator in the office and there's like other random employees they all just stare at their feet and they don't talk to me like as if like i'm you know we're we're the same (laughs) we're not the fucking same (laughs) anyway so that's all i can think about when that happens so um i ended up actually leaving that job because of the health insurance being slashed and taking another job at a company that i didn't want to work at because they had the healthcare plan that my partner's doctor was like, hey, if you can get her on the, this healthcare plan, all these treatments that I want to get will be covered. Mm-hmm. And so, Viva America, <laughs> greatest country in America, <laughs> uh, I went and took a terrible job. Be- literally because I needed to be on that healthcare insurance. And so that affected my career. It affected my, my personal health and well-being, mental health and well-being, but it's what I had to do. Uh, and I honestly, looking back, I don't think I would have done it any differently because I didn't have much of a choice. Is this the moment where we talk about jobs and health insurance a little bit more I think we sh- or no? I think we should. Okay. I have thoughts, but, but I think we, we should probably pause here uh, and wrap up part one of this two-part journey <laughs> into a topic that honestly, like, is why this podcast exists. It's why the show exists. It's to talk about things that need to be talked about in an accessible way uh, and, and things that just aren't being... I, there's just nobody talking about this, and it's mind-boggling to me. Like, it's literally mind-boggling to me. So, um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amy. Part one. No, I, I like, mean, I'm sitting yes. here like, I mean, I, it's not mind-boggling to me because I'm new to this and I didn't realize any of this was going on until it happened to me. So, Welcome to the club, My young. guy. My guy. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into part one and we'll have part two up. 
which to you is probably going to feel like there's a week in between, but I think we're just going to go get a snack and then part two starts. We love snacks. Good night. May I be blunt with you? If you'd like to write in with any questions you'd like to have answered, topics you'd like covered, or other general nonsense, send Ramey and I an email at IWouldNeverKnowPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Are we doing this again? Oh, we're going to do this again. Are you sure? Oh, and then we're going to do it again and 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 again and